0: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And I am currently in Seattle, and Tiffany is currently in her apartment in the outskirts of Rome. But today, we're going on a journey. (laughs) We're going to go
1: on a virtual walking tour of Rome yeah, we're going to do what both Katie and I have been dreaming of doing this entire lockdown, which is explore Rome, because we can't right now.
0: Right. So through the magic of radio, we are going to go on a journey together through the streets of Rome. And Tiffany, I was thinking since we're creating this journey as if it's it's just sprung from the well of your historical knowledge and my mixing of sound effects, we could set this at any time we want. Like for instance, we could set it at Christmas time.
1: yes christmas time is a magical time to be in rome but i think we should set it right now in April, because April is such a beautiful time to be in Rome, particularly because of the wisteria, which is one of the most beautiful flowers that you can see around Rome, and they always bloom in April.
0: All right, so should we start in the subway tunnel?
1: No, no, no. Let's, uh, let's start right in the center of it all. Let's start at the Pantheon.
0: So here we are, right outside the Pantheon. Ah,
1: light crowds, beautiful day. There's nothing really like seeing the Pantheon, especially when you see it for the first time. Whenever I take people on a tour, I always walk around the corner Um, down a side street and approach the Pantheon around sort of a blind angle so it just looms in front of you because it's really quite big as you can see Katie right in front of you. Yes. It's in a relatively you know this square we're standing in is relatively small compared to this enormous towering monument and of course the Pantheon as many people know is the best preserved ancient monument in the world. It was uh, completed in 126 AD. So Really, we're coming up on 1900 years. Of course, there were other versions of the Pantheon, at least two, that sat at the same spot but burned down. Uh, in fact, the inscription that you can read you see that inscription up there? Yeah, yeah. It reads M. Agrippa L.C. Cos Tertium Fetchit, which basically means Marcus Agrippa, the son of Lucius, during his third time as consul, made this. But of course, Marcus Agrippa wasn't alive in 126 when this was built. He built the first Pantheon back in the time of Augustus, around 17 BC. But Emperor Hadrian, who built this version, the permanent version of the Pantheon, decided to maintain Agrippa's inscription out of respect and honor to him. It's a church now, but what was it originally? Yeah, well, originally, the word Pantheon, in fact, means temple to all gods. So it was a temple to multiple gods. And it is unusual because it is completely round, of course. And let's, hey, let's step inside. Now, these doors right here are the original bronze doors of the Pantheon. And it's great because you can just sort of touch them as you walk in and sort of feel the history within them. But... Look up at the oculus. Mm -hmm. That is really what people love about the Pantheon. I mean, just the ceiling, the dome and the ceiling all together. I mean, the ceiling is coffered, it's made of concrete. You know, the, the concrete was one of the great Roman inventions. And the coffered ceiling is, it's so iconic that it's been copied and used in so many other places, most famously probably for Americans in the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C. is a copy of the ceiling of the Pantheon. But of course here, the oculus, the central hole is open. It's just a big open hole there. And the light shines down. And you can see, I don't know if you can tell, but right now it's, it's really shining straight out the door. And that's because... The day that we 're taping this is actually i don 't know if you know this katie the day we 're taping this a couple days before air is april twenty first it's rome's birthday today did you know that
0: I did two thousand seven hundred and seventy three years old
1: yep is that right that is exactly right good for you and uh the interesting thing is that if you go to the Pantheon on this date, which I always tried to do. And we're here now. Yeah, we're here now. And the sun shines straight out the doors on that particular day. If you go around the middle of the day as we are right now.
0: So is that why the birthday is that day? Or is that just a coincidence?
1: No, I think that some people think that when they designed the Pantheon, they designed it in such a way that that would happen on the birthday of the city. That's amazing. I know, isn't it?
0: It is really, really one of the most incredible buildings. And in fact, if you only had 15 minutes to spend in Rome, that would be the one building I would force
1: everyone to go see. Yeah, I totally agree. Very, very true. Yeah, it's just as beautiful from the outside as from the inside. I mean, I feel like it's one of those places, do go in if you can, but even if you can't go in, it's something, it's worth it just to see from the outside. Just because when do you see something so old, so perfectly? maintained. And and the reason, as you mentioned, it is a church now. And that's one of the reasons why it's in such great condition was because it was converted into a church in the darkest of the dark ages, you know, in, in I think 609 AD, in a time when temples were just being ransacked for their materials in Rome. And so it, because it became a church at that time, it was sort of off limits and it was maintained. I could go on for the whole length of our little tour just talking about the Pantheon but we don't have time for that but I will just say look over there on the left and you can see through a plate of glass Raphael's tomb Raphael of course died this month 500 years ago
0: yes yes sadly so yeah and one of the things I also love about the Pantheon for anybody who's been there or anyone who's planning to be there or who's there with us right now actually is that so many artists so many architects so many thinkers so many notable people All around the world have stood in front of that building and been inspired by it and it's really does feel to me like one of the links back through time for all of us how many of us have stood in front of that building and been inspired in some way it's it's countless hordes of people by this time
1: it is true
0: Woo! all this talk I really feel like We should move on before I get too moved. All right,
1: let's move (laughs) on. Do you need some refreshment? Should we stop and get a coffee? I would love that. That would be great. Coincidentally, as luck would have it, we have one of Rome's very best cafes just around the corner. Um, So let's see if it's open. Okay. Yeah, this is Café Santistacchio in the piazza of the same name. And I mean, of course, there's going to be some like super niche coffee snobs who are going to have their own particular favorite. But I would say the majority of Romans consider either this cafe or d'oro to be the best coffee in Rome. I'm not a coffee drinker or coffee expert myself, so I can't make judgment. I can just tell you what most people say. But I do think the smell of this place is amazing. And when you walk inside, it just if you like the smell of coffee, it's pretty incredible. Now, you can see everybody's standing up um, at the counter. I mean, there are some tables outside for the tourists, but the Italians who come here, a lot of business people come here during the day on their coffee break. The parliament is just around the corner, so sometimes you'll see some famous Italian politicians in here, they always stand up at the bar to get their coffee. And as you can see, it's packed, like you can't really, it's hard to get up to the front of the line. You have to elbow your way up there. But despite its fame, the coffee is very well-priced. An espresso is around a euro, so they have not taken advantage of their fame.
0: As a tourist here, standing at the edge of this cafe, slightly intimidated by all these dudes, yeah. what etiquette should I follow here? Should I barge in, or should I just sort of let this be a local place?
1: I mean, maybe you should let it be a local place, but it's become touristy, so people who go there... Probably know they're gonna to encounter tourists, so they're prepared for it. Just make sure you pay first. You know, because so many people come in, they, they prefer you pay first. The cash register's over there on the right pay for what you want and then take your receipt up to the bar and I mean obviously don't push in front of people you wait your turn but people in Italy don't really make organized lines so you just kind of look around you see who is there before you and when you feel like those people have been served you put your arm forward and you get your coffee
0: if I want to be legit do I have to stand at the bar
1: no sometimes you want to sit down and have your coffee there's nothing wrong with that I prefer that I mean I'm a tea drinker so of course I prefer sitting down there's nothing worse than having a pot of tea standing up at the bar of a cafe. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. I always, I always get annoyed because whenever my husband and I go to get, you know, go to into a cafe together, he always gets an espresso or maybe a cappuccino and I always get a pot of tea, like a little tiny pot of tea. It's always tiny. It's like a cup and a half. But they always, without fail, will make my husband's coffee before they make the tea. And I'm like, don't you understand that my tea has to steep? For at least a couple of minutes. And he's going to just down his. So they make his coffee. They set it down. He downs his coffee. Meanwhile, they're making my tea. They give me my tea. And I have to stand there for five minutes while it seeps. And then, I, you know, you don't drink tea quickly. Tea is a slow... It just, it's a total nightmare. <laughs> so I usually just get
0: water these days. The one way you are at odds with this country well let's move on to a place where you're not at odds a place that is extremely beautiful and
1: another one of the the top hits yeah okay i guess you mean piazza navona yeah let's go great it's just around the corner so Piazza Navona is, uh, yeah, I know you've been here before, Katie, but every time you come mm-hmm. here, it you can't help but be a little bit blown away by it. Even myself, after living here for 15 years, whenever I walk into Piazza Navona, I always take a minute just to look around because it's such a, is there even a word? It's a spectacle. It's spectacular.
0: It really is. As a person who, who doesn't take as many photos and who wants to tape things all the time, I do have, it doesn't really fit our tour, but... Hey, it's the magic of radio. I do have a little bit of the sound of Piazza Navona at night. So let's just pretend that the sun sets really fast for a second. Okay.
1: Okay, the sun's <laughs> back up again. I'm just curious why that has to be at night. Why does it have to be at night, that clip? Uh,
0: I don't know. It just Maybe it doesn't. It just feels like it's
1: at night. You can write in and tell us if we should have set that at night or not. <laughs> it's day again. Wow, that was a fast night. Oh, look, Katie, it's noon on the dot right now. As you can hear the bells from Sant'Agnese in Agone. Now, it's kind of hard to know where to look first in this piazza because there's so much going on and there's so many beautiful things. Probably what's going to take your attention the most is the central fountain. This is by Bernini, John Lorenzo Bernini, the famous sculptor and architect. And there's actually a great story behind this fountain because the Pope at the time, Pope Innocent the X, Innocent X came on the heels of Pope Urban 8th, And Urban 8th had been not only Bernini's, Patron and champion, but also a close friend of his. So he had gotten all the amazing projects and commissions all throughout Urban the Eighth's papacy, and he was just the favorite artist of the whole city. And when Innocent took over, he had been a rival of the the previous pope, and so he didn't want to work with anyone that that pope had worked with. And so Bernini suddenly was out of fashion, and he instead was working with couple of different architects, including Francesco Borromini, who's my personal favorite architect. And he was the great rival of Bernini. So suddenly, finally, Borromini gets to shine. And in fact, the central church that you can see here, this towering, gorgeous Baroque church is by uh, Francesco Borromini. It's called Sant'Agnese in Agone. But Pope Innocent decided he wanted to build a monumental fountain in this square, particularly because this is where he lived. You see that Palace over there, that big white palace with the Brazilian flag hanging in front of it. Mm-hmm. That was Pope Innocent X's palace. He wanted this square to be one of the most beautiful in the city because it was where he lived. So he's having the church built, but he also wants to build this beautiful fountain. Now, he sent out not exactly commissions, but he sent out notices to the great artists of the time to submit their ideas and their designs for the new fountain, and he was going to select which one he preferred. He, on purpose, did not invite Bernini to submit his ideas. But there was a family member of his who knew what was going on, who loved Bernini's work, so he convinced Bernini to make a model of the fountain anyway. And they put it in a place in the palace where the Pope would not be able to miss it. And so when Pope Innocent saw a model of what Bernini had projected for this fountain, He was completely gobsmacked by it he fell instantly in love with it and he was quoted by a contemporary historian as having said he who desires not to use bernini's designs must take care not to see them they were so beautiful and they're so incredible that he could not resist using the artist that he did not want to work with, but he did anyway. And so, of course, Bernini designs the Fountain of the Four Rivers with these four enormous river gods. We have the god of the Nile, the god of the Ganges, the god of Rio de la Plata, and the god of the Danube, all decorated with different flora and fauna and objects from that, their particular part of the world, because they each represent the four corners of the globe. Uh, and, of course, the obelisk in the center which is one of uh, the ancient Roman obelisks brought from Egypt.
0: Wow. And isn't there a rumor that uh, there's a reason why the gods are all looking a little frightened and looking away from the church?
1: There's one god, the god of the Rio de la Plata river personification, who is sort of looking up towards the church with his hand sort of cowering. But, yeah, people say he was they were working on these projects these two rivals bernini and borromini were working on these projects at the same time and bernini wanted to make fun of borromini so he pretended that he was this figure was disgusted or afraid of the church that it was going to fall on him but the thing is the fountain was made in 1651 and the church was not begun until 1652 and francesco borromini wasn't even named head architect until 1653 so it's a highly, highly unlikely story. But I do love those little stories, even though they're n- often not true. I do like them. But that's one that I can debunk. Mm. The reason this square has such an unusual shape, which is a very, very long oval shape, it's curved on the north and flat on the south end, is because this site was once an ancient stadium for Olympic-style track and field races. There would have been stone columns all the way around and arches. And there would also have been seating, stone seating, similar to what they had in the Circus Maximus. It's like a miniature version of Circus Maximus, much, much smaller. Slowly over the years in the Middle Ages, after much of the marble had been taken out, people just used it to build their homes into. And that's one of my favorite things about Rome is how you can see the passage of time in one building or one site you can see what it looked like in ancient times even though it's instead of seeing a racetrack you're seeing the facades of homes it you can still see the shape of the racetrack so that's one of the things i love about rome yeah it is amazing but uh let's move on and head down this side street to probably one of the loveliest churches in rome at least from the outside Okay. Uh, so, this is Via della Pace. At the end of this street is, well, I don't have to tell you what it is, Katie, because you're looking at it. <laughs> I, it's amazing. <laughs>
0: I've never been able to get into this church, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, Santa Maria della Pace. This church used to only be open on Saturday mornings. Uh, then it changed it, and it was open on Saturday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. But every time I've gone here recently, I mean, you know, before March 10th, um it's it's always been open it's always been open so I think that they've just expanded the opening hours which is great there are some frescoes in here by Raphael that he painted in 1514 the Sibyls I think the most interesting thing about them is how similar they are to Michelangelo's Sibyls in the Sistine Chapel which would have been completed just two years earlier But what I really love about this church is just the facade. The facade is not as old as the church itself. The church itself was built in the 1400s, but the facade is from the 1660s. It was designed by Pietro da Cortona, another great Baroque architect, a contemporary of Bernini and Borromini. I just love it because it has this semicircular porch, I guess you could call it, with these beautiful columns in the front, what I love about the columns is instead of making them perfectly symmetrical as they go across the front of the semicircle, he's he's moved the two on the right closer to each other and the two on the left closer to each other. So it creates this sort of unexpected element, which is really what the Baroque is all about, that unexpected sort of theatrical, bizarre element that makes something even more beautiful. I don't know if you know the... Um, The origin of the word baroque but it comes for the word for an italian teardrop-shaped pearl which now that i think about it i can't remember it's barocco or barocca but it's a a teardrop-shaped pearl so the idea being a pearl a perfect pearl would be perfectly spherical and you could think of like the renaissance as being perfection right it's all about symmetry and perfection whereas the tear-shaped pearl is imperfect and it's exactly it's imperfection that makes it so beautiful Mm. so that's kind of the baroque in a nutshell and he really designed this on purpose to be to look like a theatrical set a piece of art that you are participating in you're not just looking at and if you go to the left you can see another doorway over there that's the doorway to the Chiostro del bramante should we take a look in there as well
0: yeah let's look in there
1: they have art exhibits in this space. And they're really great. So I always suggest people to go. They're kind of expensive. But it's just a really great exhibition space. But you can visit this cloister for free. You don't have to, to, you know, you'll see a ticket booth on your left when you walk in. And you need to buy a ticket if you want to go to the exhibit. But you can still go in and look at the cloister for free if you want to. So you just walk past the ticket desk. And yeah, I mean, stepping inside here, you could really kind of feel a shift back in time, I believe. You know, the the facade of that church outside is so Baroque, and this cloister is really true Renaissance in all of its symmetrical perfection. You know, the the cloister is perfectly square. It has these two rows of porticos with columns. This is by Donato Bramante, who is one of the great Renaissance architects to work in Rome. He wasn't from Rome. He was from Urbino, which is also where Raphael was from. Um, and we talked I talked a little bit about a different one of his works on our mini episode called Tempietto. I can't remember off the top of my head what number that was, but it was one of my first ones I ever did. So you can go back and listen to that for a little more info about Bramante. But this was built, this cloister was built in 1500 and it was his first work in Rome. And it is considered sort of the apex of high Roman Renaissance architecture. And there's also a cafe on the upper floor and it's kind of the most romantic cafe in Rome, I think, um, because you're in the middle of this little cloister and the seats, if you look up there, you can see there's little seats that go all the way around the upper edge of the upper level and so you can look down into the courtyard you can look up above because of course it's open there's no roof on the top you can look up at the buildings around you and you just sit on these little ancient seats that are built into the side of the cloister and it's just it's just totally romantic and cozy and and I love it
0: ah I can't believe I've never been in here before
1: you haven't no I never have it's never been open not that I noticed anyway I would say that you probably didn't notice the cloisters almost always open because they have exhibits here. The church back when you lived in Rome was almost always closed, it's true. But the cloister's always open. you just but you, it's a different door, so maybe you just didn't notice.
0: Well, I'm glad I got to come today. That's great. All oh, right. Well, well, we're getting close to lunchtime, so where else should we go before we
1: have to stop to eat somewhere? Okay, let's uh, let's head down Via dell'Anima, which is the parallel of this street. We were on Via della Pace. And this will lead us to a little square at the base of Piazza Navona, right before you walk into Piazza Navona, called Piazza del Pasquino. So here is Pasquino, this kind of unimpressive statue. Kind of ugly, honestly. Kind of ugly. I mean, it's missing... It doesn't really have any limbs. Or a face. It's got a bit of a head, but not really a face. So Pasquino is named after a tailor who lived in this area who famously was always coming up with really interesting, funny insults about the most important people in power at the time this was in the 1500s and after he died this statue happened to be found around the same period this is supposedly nobody really knows for sure but this is supposedly an ancient greek original work that decorated that ancient stadium i was telling you about the stadium of domitian where piazza navona now is and some people say It's the statue of Menelaos, who was a Greek figure. We're not really sure. It was just discovered, unearthed, and like so many works of art back in those days, especially works that were damaged, highly damaged, they oftentimes just put them up against a wall or a street corner and just left them there. And they just stuck around. And that was the case for Pasquino. Eventually, as you can see, they built a little pedestal for him and all of that. But in around 1550... People started sticking little... First of all, they, they put a toga on him, or like a cloth to sort of look like a toga, and they started pinning little pithy remarks onto him, as if he... And they called him Pasquino, because there was still this live memory of this tailor who had done this during his life. But, you know, the tailor was gone, so they said, okay, here this statue is going to take over for Pasquino. So they would stick these little comments onto it, and the idea was there was no... Freedom of speech at that time. There was no freedom of press. You couldn't just go and insult and criticize the pope or the prefect of the city or whoever was you know making decisions and whoever was in charge. So you would need to do this anonymously. So this was a way that you could criticize the government anonymously or the church anonymously, but also have a pretty wide reach because people would constantly come by and look at it. A lot of people have compared Pasquino to the Renaissance's answer to Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> but the idea is, though, you, you really need needed to be clever. You had to come up with something really funny to make sure that it would last and it wouldn't get taken down. And so Posterity has recorded a lot of the best Pasquinades. Pasquinade is the name of that piece of commentary taped to Pasquino. And the most famous, of course, is uh, the one that was put up there when Pope Urban VIII had Bernini take the bronze, there was some bronze decorating the Pantheon, and he had him take it down, I mean, we're talking about ancient bronze that's been there since the time the Pantheon was built, and use it to build the Baldacchino, which is an enormous altar covering in St. Peter's. And what they said was, I should tell you that Urban, this doesn't make sense unless you know that Urban VIII's family name was Barberini, the pasquinade was in Latin. It read Quad non facerunt barbari, facerunt Barbarini," which means "What the barbarians didn't do, the Barbarini did," <laughs> mm. <laughs> N- in destroying ancient <laughs> temples and ancient works in Rome. Uh, so there's there's dozens and dozens and probably hundreds of pasquinades that have survived history. That's just probably the most famous one. But yeah, so you can't pass by Pasquino without at least taking a look and seeing. What's on there? They they try not to let people post the notices directly onto the pedestal of the statue anymore, but people still do it. Yeah. Would you ever do it? Uh, I don't feel like I'm Roman enough. If, if <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, usually they're written in either Roman dialect. Sometimes they're still even written in Latin. They usually rhyme. They're usually very clever. First of all, I don't know that I understand Italian politics. Uh, well enough to be able to make an accurate or biting enough comment, and secondly, I don't—I just don't think I could—I could make it sound good enough.
0: Fair enough. Well, where should we
1: go now? Well, let's uh, let's head straight for Campo di Fiori. We can pick up something to eat there on our way through town. Yeah. So Campo di Fiori is not far. Should we unfold
0: these wings
1: that people don't know that we have and we'll just
0: fly over there?
1: And... Or we could just hop on our little segways <laughs> yeah, that off. we have parked right here. <laughs> that we just happen to have. All right.
0: So here we are. Campo di Fiori, one of the loudest places in Rome, in my opinion.
1: Well, I always tell people it's the piazza that doesn't sleep. Literally, it's a 24-hour square because there's the market early in the morning. And, of course, the market sellers have to show up a couple hours early to get everything set up. So the market here goes on until about 3 p.m. Then they start breaking it down. They start. Cl- it takes ages, too, for them to break it down. It's not until about 6 p.m. that everybody's gone. 5, 6 p.m. It takes a while to get it cleaned up. All the garbage trucks come in and the street supers and they get all the stuff cleared out just in time for Aperitivo hour. So that's my favorite time to be in Campo de Fiore because I love to sit in the square and just enjoy the people watching during Aperitivo. There are some restaurants here as well for dinner, although I think it's more fun at Aperitivo time. After dinner, it really becomes a meat market. So I always say it's a vegetable market in the morning, it's a meat market at night because there's a lot of bars <laughs> where like the young students, particularly like the foreign students will go. So there's always people in the evening here drinking, being rowdy, hooking up, flirting. Um, it's very lively. It's a, it's a great place to be, especially when you're a young person. A note
0: to those of you who are traveling or older. I, I remember one time an, an older woman I know happily telling me she was going to go to Rome. And I said, oh, good. Did you already figure out where you're going to stay? And she's like, oh, we got a place right on Campo de Fiori. Oh, jeez. Oh,
1: great. You're not going (laughs) to sleep. You're going to have a wonderful time. Yeah. Don't stay on the piazza. You can stay nearby, but don't get a place on the piazza. Yeah, because that's the place everybody goes also when all of the other bars close. They just go straight because everybody's just standing around with their plastic cups and their beer bottles. And that'll go on until about three at least. Mm -hmm. And that's when the street sweepers come back to clean up the square again. Before we
0: leave here, who is this standing in the midst of it all? is this extremely grim hooded figure. It's a statue, obviously. It's not a real person.
1: But (laughs) who in the world? It's Giordano Bruno. Giordano Bruno was a Dominican friar, but he was also a scientist, an astronomist, and a philosopher. He was way ahead of his time because he was living in the late 1500s. So we're talking pre Galileo. I mean, Galileo was alive, but he hadn't yet made his pronouncements about the solar system and stuff. So Giordano Bruno believed in the heliocentric universe, but he also believed that there were infinite number of other suns with other planets around them, and that those other planets most likely had life on them. So he kind of recognized that the sun... It's not just one sun, like every star. I mean, I don't know if he knew that every star was like a sun, but that's kind of what he put forward. It was not what the church wanted to hear, especially coming from a monk. And so he was declared a heretic. He went into hiding, and he did escape capture for a couple of years, but he eventually was captured, and he was told to recant. He refused to do it. And... He was burned at the stake on this very spot in Campo di Fiore in 1600.
0: And I feel like the statue sort of carries the, both the
1: grandeur and the heaviness of that. The church eventually in the 20th century admitted that they were wrong, that Giordano Bruno had been right, and that's when the statue was erected in his honor. To try to make amends posthumously. Too late for him. All
0: right, well, how should we end this little tour? I feel like this is the thing with Rome. We could just go on and on and on and on. There's just endless things to see. It doesn't stop. Yeah, we could end here. This is a nice place to end,
1: or we can end on Ponte Sisto.
0: Let's go one more place. We have to lighten it up. We can't end with the death of Giordano Bruno.
1: Well, if we go down this street, uh, it'll lead us straight to, we're just going to pass Piazza Farnese, which is another gorgeous piazza. But uh, let's just head down to Via Giulia, which is this beautiful, grand, straight street, so long and wide and straight for the time that it was built. Um, It was built by Pope Julius II, that's why it's called Via Giulia uh, in 1506, as another alternative route to get from that part of the city and Trastevere to get to the Vatican, because it was always about, you know, how do we get people? How do we move people around during the whole year? Because were so many pilgrims would come to the city, and all you had were these tiny, crooked, little winding streets, and there was so much human congestion that they would oftentimes build streets just for the purpose of getting people to the Vatican.
0: Can we discuss really quickly this hideous fountain that's on via julia i know you like it i think you like it i know i think it's the ugliest <laughs> thing in the city i know you hate it
1: i know you and derek hate it it's the face of a man
0: who's spewing water from his mouth but because it's hot the water tends to just turn to algae, so it just looks like a person who's throwing up on their chin. That's what it looks like. It's <laughs>
1: true, generally speaking. <laughs> it's it's called a Mascherone fountain because it looks like a big mask. It was a drain cover. A lot of times in ancient Rome. They would create very decorative drain covers with the, the face of a, of a person. And then they would have this big wide mouth where the water would go out. That's what the Boca de la Verita is. It's a very famous, very large drain cover. But yeah, this is a fountain that they took the drain cover, the mask, the mascherone, and turned it into a fountain. And, and Katie hates it. I don't particularly love it, but I don't hate it. But yeah, it's true. He does kind of look like he's throwing up. It's a little bit like a barfing Jesus because <laughs> he has long hair and a beard. <laughs>
0: On the way to the church, look to your left and see the barfing Jesus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) All right, so here we are at the end of Via Giulia. Let's just cross the street. Busy Lungotevere. Yes, this street is a menace for sure. And uh, and here we are on Ponte Sisto. Ponte Sisto connects Trastevere to. The center of the city, and it is a bridge that I used to take every day. It's a footbridge, so you can't drive across it. And I'm sure you did as well when you lived in Trastevere. You were always crossing this bridge, probably.
0: Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And your favorite accordion player is always there. I can hear her now. Oh, look! There she is, in her big, wide-brimmed hat. Yes.
1: bridge is great because, I mean, it's old. This was built by Pope Sixtus IV uh, in the 1480s. And also as a way to help, it was as an alternate crossing of the Tiber. There was only one place to cross the Tiber up until the 1480s, and that was the Ponte Sant'Angelo. All the other bridges had been at least partially destroyed or damaged. And so they built this bridge just in time for the holy year of 1500s. And you can actually see a great view of St. Peter's from this bridge. And you know, there's always people here. It's like Campo di Fiori in that it's always full of life and there's always people around here, musicians and young people meeting up. And to me, this is like my early years in Rome are really concentrated in this bridge because I crossed it so often and, and I just, I love it.
0: Yeah, it is a bridge that seems like it's of beginnings and endings to me. Even for me, our last episode, the one we did when I was leaving Rome way back in the day, episode called Goodbye, oh, yeah. way back in season one, it ends with us on this bridge. That's right. So it seems fitting that we end our virtual tour walking tour of Rome, also standing on this bridge. Leaving it behind for now, but not forever. We will be back. Well, thank you so much for that really fun tour. It was fun to get out for a little while. I really appreciate it. Oh,
1: it was my pleasure. All the research, all your knowledge. I love taking people around Rome always, but especially in this part of the city, just, you know, so f- full of so many treasures that I adore that it's really my pleasure.
0: And you should take note, those of you listening, if you're planning a trip to Italy when this is all over, or whenever this is all over, Tiffany does give tours in person walking tours of Rome in various lengths on various topics. For me, when I first moved to Rome, she took me on one of the tours along with her group of people. She let me kind of bomb their party. (laughs) And it really changed the way I moved around the city from there on out. Because I felt like I understood so much more of what was going on than I ever would have if I was just wandering around hoping to glean information here and there. So it's a great opening way to get to know the city if you ever... Do get back there. Thanks for that, Katie. Yeah, and you can find, uh, there's information on how to get in touch with Tiffany on our website, bittersweetlife.net, or at tiffany-parks.com. Before we go, too, I just want to remind you that we would love to do a show about the collections, the collections of things in your home, where you are, what you collect, and how that collection came to be. If you have something like that, send us a voice memo to bittersweetlife at mail.com and we may be putting a show about that together great and until next time
1: rome is waiting for you
0: it's the eternal city at least we'll know where if not when and until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie Sewell.
1: i'm tiffany parks
0: join us again bye
1: bye thanks to Lori lee elliott for her help
0: managing the bittersweet life on youtube and to sarah johnson for her consultation our logo is made by jody rick at the lost laboratory with painting assistance by our muse caravaggio you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. That way we're here for you every week, both on Monday and now on Thursday. And if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful for you. Send us your topic ideas, questions, and voice memos. We're at mail.com or at the Contact Us page at thebittersweetlife.net.